welcome back to MonarchCast. I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And we're finally doing new episodes again. <laughs> it's only been almost five months. It's fine. It has, yes. But we've got so much to talk about today because it has been a busy five months on the Royals front. Yes. And so before we get really into the interesting stuff, we decided we're going to do a little lighthearted episode covering we've said we're going to cover this a million times and we never have but we're going to cover the titles that make up the nobility in the united kingdom and we're going to talk about the order of precedence because it is incredibly pertinent to an event that happened just this week and what is that there's a baby baby. (laughs) so we thought you know there's been a lot of questions around the new baby sussex title and how he's going to be referred to and whether or not he's entitled to be a prince and when and how and so we thought we'd dive into how all of that works because we're going to leave the united kingdom for the foreseeable future we are going to explore more eastern lands Um, We're going to talk about Japan and the Ottoman Empire. We thought it might just be interesting to shake things up. Yeah, we've been really Anglo-focused. I mean, I think we've talked almost entirely about England and its monarchy this whole time. We've made a few forays into Spain and France, but and maybe a little bit of Germany, but for the most part, it's been pretty focused on the UK. And so I thought... Let's go elsewhere because England is not the only country in the world that even still has an existing monarchy today. And um, I think this is going to be really exciting because Japan was recently in the news about happenings with their family monarchy. You know, I think going into the history of the Middle East and its monarchy will be really interesting. So before we... Specifically the Ottomans. Yes. And so before we do that, we thought we would say a bit of a farewell to the UK by covering all of the things we said we'd talk about we never did. Um, Specifically, how what's a duke? What's a duchess? You know, we might cover a little bit of the gossip that we've missed in the last five months because I know there's a couple of you out there that enjoy that. Yeah. Well, I think first, we've got to talk baby, right? Yes. Because... I mean, actually, our recording time ended up being so helpful this week because, you know, we got to wait until all the news was out there about baby Sussex. I was a little worried that, you know, because no one really knew the due date. So I was slightly worried we'd be having sort of a what if conversation when we recorded and then the news would come out in between and we'd be kind of caught on our back foot. But no, we helpfully the baby came on Monday and now we've got a ton to talk about. Yeah, we even have a name. So, oh boy. <laughs> as as if you're listening, you're probably aware, uh Prince Harry and Meghan Markle had a baby on Monday, May 6th, and it was a little boy. And this morning, and I actually was watching this this morning, they did the photo call, which is a little bit different than how it's been done recently. There was no photo call on the front steps of the hospital. You know, I think when you're not presenting the air, that's probably you can dispense with some of those more formal traditions. Okay, I just want to interject here that this should be the norm going forward. Like, it feels so inhumane to me to make Kate Middleton walk out a mirror like hours after giving birth and stand there in front of hundreds of photographers. 
Yeah, I think I think there's probably a bit more, especially with the firstborn she had. I think with George, the fever pitch, if you can imagine, was even bigger than it was with this baby. And so I think they probably just thought, let's get it out of the way. And then nobody has to see me for two months. It's fine to each their own. But yes, I agree. It seemed a bit quieter and calmer. Um, I don't think the British press was particularly pleased with this, but... Especially once they found out that CBS was invited. I know. <laughs> but you know what? They haven't been that kind either, so... Well, that's the thing. You reap what you sow, and we'll talk about that. But, I mean, they can't treat this couple the way that they do and then expect them to just hand them, you know, goodies in the press. Yes. So, they do the photo call. You couldn't really see anything. Um, the baby was... Oh, I love that. They're like, here's the baby, and he, like, very, like imperceptibly like tilts him like here's a baby yeah he was very <laughs> swaddled up but then a couple hours later they really revealed his name and his name is I, I'm gonna have to say it with a straight face Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor okay there is so I much to unpack here okay can I just say right off the bat that I think it's amazing <laughs> really you know why because it's so unstuffy like, it, it's just Archie. Like, it's not even Archibald. I think if that baby's a redhead, it's going to be a very unfortunate name choice. Did you see, um, I saw, the best tweet I saw all day was Archie Comics tweeted, I'm baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, apparently this is an incredibly popular name in Great Britain at the moment, which I also have a problem with because, as you know, I don't like when people name their kid the same thing as four other people. I think it's interesting that they gave him a nickname for a first name. Uh, I don't think they would ever have gone with Archibald. First of all, we have to we have to say this isn't even this. We have a whole episode on baby names. This name is certainly not on that list. Um, no, I honestly thought that they might go with one of the deeper cuts. You know, I thought maybe I thought we might even see like a Frederick or something. No, you know what this is? This is like a Zara, right? Like or a Eugenie. Like this is a. But Eugenie I, had some roots in the past. But, but so yeah, okay. So but so deep that like they're the the general public is going to be unaware. But like naming their child Archie Harrison is a clean break where they're clearly saying. This child is going to have the most normal future we can give him. He's not going to be saddled with the baggage of his ancestors, and nor does he need to be because he's seventh in line to the throne. He has no chance in hell of needing to do anything in the royal family. Like I was telling you earlier in the day, like I think the situation right now is so crowded with all the working royals and it's only going to become more so once the Cambridge kids grow up. And so this baby does not need to have any sort of name that implies a royal future because I don't think that's the intention that he will have one. I think it's interesting that you say that because my I think that's my issue with it is as if that's the plan, this also doesn't pass the Supreme Court test, which is the idea if you're naming your child, think about if they you know, as unlikely as it is, grow up to become a Supreme Court justice. Does it pass the test? Do you want to hear the Honorable Archie? <laughs> I just but I don't think, think anybody really cares funny. because it's going to be the Honorable Mountbatten Windsor. So like nobody yeah. really even cares just, about the Archie. I just think it's a little, I'm just saying, obviously nobody asked my opinion. Is that, yeah, they like the name Archie, but Archibald is a terrible name. And so they didn't want to do that. And, you know, 
there isn't really anything else that you could nickname it. And so I think this really fits with their very relaxed well, kind of thing. And also, don't forget, she comes from Hollywood where people name their babies all kinds of crazy things. And we should just be thrilled that she stopped at a nickname, right? Yeah. So I'm just surprised they didn't go with Arthur. They could have called him Archie. They could have gone with Archer and called him Archie. But anyway, we could move on to the middle name. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. That was, I think it's really cute. Yes. So Harry's son, Harrison. Nice. And then Mountbatten, Windsor, uh, if you will recall from our episode on Queen Elizabeth, we talked about, you know, as you know from our episode on King George V, the family name was changed to Windsor. And then when Elizabeth married Philip, it was a big to-do. He wanted his children to carry his surname, which is Mountbatten, and he lost that battle. And then when Elizabeth had, I think it was around the time she gave birth to Andrew, this issue was revisited, and they decided that all descendants of the queen moving forward would carry the surname Mountbatten-Windsor. So we will get into this when we talk about the titles, but typically speaking, the royal family do not actually carry a surname if you have a royal title. Because this kid is not getting a title, he's going to need a surname. So he gets to use the family name Mountbatten-Windsor. And it's been a while since we've seen that one pulled out of the hat. I think the only other, the last kid to carry that would be... um, one of the um isn't it like one of edwards yeah one of edwards kids yeah james i think the son is younger um but they carry the last name mountbatten windsor as well because they also about it do not have edward occupy the same place right no they don't edward is the son of the sovereign and as as such and we will get into this when we talk about the titles but as the son of the sovereign his children are the queen's grandchildren and they are entitled to carry the rank of prince and princess. Their parents turn them down for them. So No, but I mean I'm talking about like in the likelihood of them oh, sure. having their children but, rule. Like Yeah. Well this yes, yes, the because Elizabeth is still alive that introduces a, a layer of nuance. But I mean like from Harry and Edward's perspectives in their in their respective immediate families, their ranking order is fairly similar I mean really Harry and Andrew occupy the same place being the the spare to the so-called heir and or you know at least that's how they were both born but Andrew obviously insisted on titles in a way that Harry is not going to do and we'll get into that when we talk about the titles because it's kind of interesting when you start getting into these um grandchildren and great-grandchildren generations you know it's not something that we've really seen before the reign of Queen Elizabeth where the sovereign does have multiple generations coming after her and it's a question of well what are we going to call all of these people and so that's why it's really interesting to talk about this and we again we will get into it so put a pin in the title issue but the name is Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor and that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, the other thing I was thinking is we don't really know a lot about Megan's maternal family, and maybe Archie is a is a family name in her mother's family. I don't know. It may be. I feel like they would have mentioned that. Yeah. Though. No, it's it's certainly an unexpected choice, and I'm sure all the bookies are happy because none of their clients won. 
Uh, no, actually, that's not true. I read that I think like six people bet on the name Archie. <laughs> well, those people have the same odds as the people that voted on Country House in the Kentucky Derby. No, what was that horse's name? Was it Country House? I think so. You're talking about the one that accidentally yes. won? Yes, <laughs> the one that accidentally won. Oh, there the odds were like 65 to 1 or something crazy. Yeah, I think these people who bet on Archie won like 130 pounds or something. So. Wow, that's crazy. All right, yeah. so let's talk about what we've missed. I want to talk about your trip to London. Uh, yeah, I think I put a little bit of this on the Instagram. Um, it was really difficult for me to remember to keep up with that, so apologies. Um, but yeah, I went to London, and for obvious reasons, I was super excited because I've been doing a deep dive into British history for the last year so I felt like I was coming back to London with you know new eyes and I really tried to make the most of it and I went to several palaces so it was a bit of a a palace tour of England I um of course you know did a walk by Buckingham Palace um walked by Kensington Palace and Uh, I took a tour of the Tower of London, and I also, though, this time, which was, I think, the most exciting thing for me, and also incredibly exciting given we did an entire series on um, Henry VIII, and we had also talked about Queen Anne, is I went, I took the train, and I went out to Hampton Court, which I had never been to before, and was, of course, the Tudor Palace built by Henry VIII, and renovated by William and Mary, and, you know, also um, lived in by Queen Anne, and it's gorgeous, beautiful grounds, huge palace. And what's really insane is, so I think it's the first time I've been into a more modern palace. Like I've I've walked by Buckingham Palace and all that, but I've never gone inside. And of course, given that that's a current home of the monarch, you don't tour the bedrooms, say, in the same way that you do in the ones that are more museum-like. And you really get a sense of what it must have been like to be in the presence of the monarch because you have these formal gathering spaces where you can congregate to see if the king might see you, but then there's the room where the king actually might see you, but that's only the public throne room, so he would do an audience, but you're not really inner circle. And then you there's this progression of rooms that eventually end up in the king's bedchamber, and it's just like this sort of winnowing of like your status in society so if you progress further and further in it's like you're more in the inner circle you know and but it was like this series of like five or six rooms in every separate apartment area it's kind of fascinating I think it really was difficult to um actually be in the monarch's presence alone hmm which was my takeaway um and also you know it was the filming site of where they shot the favorite so I did watch that movie after I had been to Hampton Court, and that was kind of fun. But Oh, that's cool. And then you also went yeah. to Oxford. Is that right? I That's right. Thank you for reminding me because I forgot that I stayed in a hotel that is essentially they renovated a, an old jail. Like my room was a former prison cell. I think they took three cells and turned them into one, one room. Um but the jail is adjacent to Oxford Castle, which is, of course, where Matilda made her escape, as we talked about in our episode. That, I think, was the most exciting to me. And it really embarrassingly took me two days before I realized where I was staying. <laughs> 
And then I kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, Oxford Castle. Hmm, Oxford Castle. And I, I literally was like standing next to a coworker. I just went, oh my God. She's like, what? I was like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I did a podcast about this place. Yeah, like promise you it won't be as exciting for you as it was for me. <laughs> yeah, so I really got to do a full tour of British castles and palaces. So, so okay, so you mentioned Hampton Court and they shot I did. the favorite. So I do want to talk about, we did, you know, we, our last series, we did an episode on Queen Anne and we did an episode on Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots. And I want to talk about both of these movies. I want to know what you thought of The Favorite first. I surprisingly liked The Favorite, although that had less to do with its historical accuracy than I had also seen The Lobster, which is another movie by that director. And I came out of that movie with a very different sense of what I thought it was going to be so I was a bit apprehensive watching the favorite although happily it was a bit easier to understand (laughs) um I loved the favorite I thought it was visually stunning and I don't know how accurate it was historically but it was definitely fun to watch this sort of baroque type you know palace shenanigans well, it's what did you think? Funny because I was listening to our podcast and I think I said, "Oh, I'm not going to talk too much about Queen Anne and Sarah Churchill. Like there's a whole movie about this. It's great." Um and I feel bad for saying that. <laughs> the movie well, the movie was really good, but it really could have been any situation anywhere I think the setting certainly helped lend some surrealness to the plot because it's crazy anyway and then the fact that you're in this big palace and everything's it's the queen and it was really really fancy and everything that's great but it didn't necessarily depend too too much on anything we would have talked about which is fine but if you're into the movie if you're if you're into Queen Anne if you're into strange movies, I i mean, I really liked it as a movie. I'm just saying as a historical fiction right. I mean, biography, they, that's like not what it is. There's these offhand references to war and, you know, the setting is sort of nodded to. Um, I think it's fine that we didn't really focus too much on the relationship between Anne and, um, is it, did you say her name was Sarah Churchill? Is that did I? Yeah. Name? Yeah. Um, between Anne and um, was it Sarah the, Churchill? <laughs> now I'm I don't no, know I'm the, the, the character. Myself. Yeah, the one played by uh, Rachel Weitz. But um, I think it's fine that we didn't really focus on it because the the historical accuracy of that relationship is obviously questionable. There's really no proof that they had a romantic relationship. There's no proof that they didn't. But I think the movie definitely went in one direction and took it to the extreme in a, in a way that is suggested by their letter writing but also kind of removes the context of the time in which they lived and when women frequently wrote to each other in that way and so it's not possible to determine the true nature of their relationship um but it's not really the point of the movie whether it's historically accurate and I think you're right I mean the dynamic between the characters and the plot are definitely interesting no matter where you put them and and I think the 
opulent setting only added to this idea of just surrealism. So yeah, I would recommend a movie. I would, I would. not recommend is Mary <laughs> Queen of Scots. If you want to know about Mary Queen of Scots and Elizabeth the First. Listen to our podcast episode on that. It's better than the movie. I'm not even saying that from a biased perspective. I was watching the movie the whole time thinking our podcast episode is better than this. <laughs> it's just boring. It was so boring. And it's not a it boring story. Not, you know, my thought was it, like watching it was, again, another visually stunning movie, really. But it was also incoherent in terms of plot like they they tore through decades in two hours with no clear indication of the passing of time and so it really seems like everything is happening in like six months and first of all I mean the the biggest egregious thing was to have them meet in person which never happened um and I can sympathize with the filmmakers for not wanting to you know pass up the opportunity to have that scene but it makes no sense and the movie itself didn't make a lot of sense really and they didn't do a very good job of explaining who anybody was um no they kind of drop you in with zero context and I think there's some intro text maybe but that's it I don't even think they mentioned that the Earl of Murray was her brother until halfway through the movie I think she greeted him as brother. Oh, maybe she did. It, it just really... And then Bothwell, I was like, who is this guy? And then I then he takes her to his castle. I was like, oh, this is Bothwell. Gotcha. Okay. Like, it's just... It, look, I'm sure there's people out there that really enjoyed it. I was not one of them. <laughs> I, I want to give the movie props for its casting choices. Yes. And, you know, its focus on a female rivalry a relationship whatever and and the women were definitely the focus of the story and all of that is great but you're right as a historical as a depiction of historical events it failed on pretty much every level so it just wasn't very good all right let's talk about the gossip that we've missed we could rehash probably like 20 different stories but I don't really want to do that what we're seeing and you can correct me if you if you think I'm wrong but if anyone follows gossip, it's very clear that something's going on. And I think what we're seeing is growing pains as the monarchy starts to transition to Charles. The press, and we've talked about this before, my theory is that you've got courtiers in Charles and even the Queen's courts going after Meghan Markle in the press there's this underlying current theme that she's not good enough not doing things the right way not conforming and there's a classist tinge and a bit of a racist tinge and a bit of a snob snobbery to it all and it's interesting because I think but the how way, dare you um, well, suggest that it's racist? I mean, here's the thing. Though I don't want to go. The press is all affronted. Yes, and I don't know why they pretend like. I mean, Britain can't sit there and pretend like they don't have a history of colonialism. But I don't want to talk about the individual stories and all of that. I just think it's interesting 
that as you start to see Charles taking over more and more of the duties, they are very clearly preparing for the next phase if you read between the lines. And I think what we're seeing is a jockeying for position. Um, so but what's weird is that the jockeying doesn't seem to be happening between the royals. It's happening between the courtiers who, and, and I don't think that this is accidental, is that the courtiers are the ones who derive some sort of importance from their role, whereas the people, you know, the, the family members, the actual royals are just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, well, this is... something is going on between William and Harry. I don't think that they're, they've been feuding for over a year because that doesn't really make sense. Um, you know, everyone saw them together on Harry's wedding day. They seemed very happy. Um... But what's interesting is that I think they've been kind of a matched set for a really long time. And then Kate came in and it was, you know, Kate and William, but Kate, William and Harry were kind of like a threesome. And then Megan came in and Megan has media training. She knows PR and I'm sure it makes sense that she would have her own ideas about how things are to be done and then you go up against this wall of well no we can't do that because this is the future king of england we can't act like that so then you separate them so that's what we've seen the fab four as they called them for about a month have split um kensington palace is now solely kate and william and harry and megan have their own Instagram, but they are under the offices at Buckingham Palace. They notably were not able to start their own separate offices, as I believe was reported that they wanted, but they are now with Buckingham Palace, which also controls um, Princess Anne, Prince Edward, you know, all of the royals of that level, which is interesting because now you're starting to see Harry kind of joining the ranks of the lesser royals and William and Kate are getting the focus as the very soon to be Prince and Princess of Wales. But see, this is the part where I don't buy the reports that Harry and Meghan demanded their own office and wanted all this attention on them because like Harry has vocally his entire life claim to not want to deal with any of this and also his entire life he and his brother have known what the positioning is going to be that William is the heir and the future king and Harry is not and so there's a natural splitting and like Harry was always going to end up under the offices of Buckingham Palace with the also rands right because that's where he falls in the pecking order and I think the palace let it delay for a long time because Megan naturally brought more attention she brought modernity she brought everything that they needed she was a, a bit of a kick in the pants but now you've got the backlash internally to that because people don't like being made aware that they've been behind the times that they haven't thought of things on their own that someone comes in with a different point of view and it works like I also think though that like this idea that they're so demanding of everything that they want is just I don't buy it because like that's never seemed to be the intention well and I don't that would think... have been something that they've always known is going to happen and like also as we think about the fact that now there are three children 
for the Cambridges, that's five people in that family, and then those kids are going to get older and start going to school, and, like, you know, the queen is 93 years old. Like, she is eventually going to depart, and William is going to be the Prince of Wales, and, like, that is going to require even more focus and attention, and I think this split was always going to happen, and I think having it happen after Harry got married was a natural time for it to do so. I, I just feel like it's all a lot of blown up, you know, nonsense about like there might be tensions as they, as you say, like go through these growing pains. But I just don't understand how this idea that anyone would have been surprised by the way this shakes out. Like, I feel like this had to have been the plan from like birth. I think this was absolutely the plan. I do think that they wanted their own office. I don't think that they pitched a fit and demanded it, but I think it would be only natural to ask for that. And then you get told no. I don't think that, I think that was kind of it. I think it was just sort of like, oh, we should make our own press office. And then they said, no, you're going to be under Buckingham Palace. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And you could argue on and their you can, point of view that maybe they felt they needed it because yeah. of all the attention, yeah. because they are the ambassadors for the Commonwealth. And maybe oh, yeah. aside from the other family members, it would make sense. But but, and maybe that will happen one day. And that's but what not you see now. them. That's what you see them doing with their Instagram, um, which is kind of interesting. They've posted very, very, very long posts that are almost serve as like press releases. So it's kind of interesting. I think you're right. I think this was always the plan. I think this was delayed for so long again because the Queen has lived for so long. But I think, as you said, she just turned ninety three. Everyone is kind of realizing, at best. If she lives as long as her mother, she's got maybe eight or nine more years to go. But we have to start planning now. And so you're seeing... But, what is, but also, by the time she's 100, what are those eight or nine years going to look like? Exactly. Right? Like- exactly. So they're moving pieces into place. We have Charles taking over more international trips and getting and not even doing that getting more attention for them we have will and kate you know stepping up and doing more events you know i think one of the things that irks me and i don't know why this bothers me so much because i really have no dog in this fight i'm i you know watches from afar and whatever it's fine but this idea that they're work shy and they don't do their part that i never seemed to be the case when they when they got married they said the queen had decided that for as long as possible they were going to be able to do a light load and focus on their family because she's always said that time in Malta with Philip was the greatest time of her life when she could just be a Navy wife. And so the fact of the matter is, is that there are plenty of people you know, while they're raising their young family and having babies, there were plenty of people to step in and take over. But those people are all aging. And as you see the queen stepping back on her duties, you see Charles taking over his duties, which sees Anne and Andrew and Edward and Sophie taking over more of Charles's, maybe some of the events that Charles might have done. So you see this natural stepping up. Everyone's kind of just moving up the rung of the ladder and moving into the next position. I think this is all very natural and it's how it was all planned out. And I, and I mean, if you don't think this is all planned, there's got to be like volumes and volumes of pages of detailed outlines and plans for all of this. But it's not an interesting story in the press to say, oh, well, transition everything's to the going next. as planned yeah it's it's more interesting to say oh my god like harry and william can't stand each other it's so bad that we had to split up their offices they even had to get their own instagram that's like a divorce oh my god 
I don't know. I think it'll be like this for a long time because it's not like, you know, William and Harry are close in age. The one thing about Charles and his siblings, with the exception of Charles and Anne, which we'll talk about Anne a little bit when we talk about the titles, but there's not really any competition there. But Charles's brothers are a lot younger than him, so they never had this competition in the press but William and Harry are only a few years apart and so I think it's very natural from the press perspective to kind of set them up as team A and team B and everyone's fighting because you know for the first year of the marriage almost at least for the first six months it was Megan and Kate can't stand each other but now people I think there have been enough public events where people are kind of like oh well they actually seem like they like each other so it's got to be William and Harry and then and this cycle will continue um, I think it's just natural. You know, I read gossip blogs for fun on my way to work and I have to stop reading the comment section because we talked about this before where people project a lot of their own personalities and fears and personality traits and tics onto other people and they certainly do it onto celebrities and they certainly do it onto Megan and Kate. And it's just this idea that if you like one, you can't like the other. And I just think that's, that's really funny because I don't feel that way. I'm just kind of observing them from an interested position of like, wow, you married into this family and that must be really weird because they do things so strangely. You know, I don't think it's a competition. No, I think there's always an instinct to make it a competition, especially between women. And that's the part that really, really gets to me. Um, I mean, honestly, the shift to having the competition be between William and Harry is almost refreshing if it didn't seems so like crazy to me to assume that none of this is intentional like I, I I mean there might be tensions you know I was thinking about like you know comparatively speaking Harry got married really fast to someone that was sort of an unknown quantity came with her own baggage you know definitely hasn't because of her family hasn't made it easy on the royal family but no one is ever easy on the royal family you know I mean unless you're born into it like you're never going to be a known quantity and all and also Harry's what you know mid-30s like a, a quicker engagement than what William and Kate did is always going to be the case like none of again none of that is surprising but I think the press is as you said classist racist snobbish and they're being aided by courtiers who feel the same way because you know as fun as a character on the crown that as Tommy Lascelles is in real life he would be the worst person right so these are just the new generation of you know Tommy Lascelles who are feeding possible truth but leaking things to the press that don't make anyone look very good and all in in all in pursuit of what goal? I mean, it doesn't make them look good and it doesn't make the family look good. And I just question the, like, you know, intent of all of this. Like, who comes out looking like roses, as you know, as this goes? But um, the press is certainly happy to jump on that because then they get stories and they get to say that William and Harry are fighting or Meghan and Kate are fighting or Harry and William are fighting with their father. You know, who knows? And maybe they are behind the scenes, but who cares? They're all stuck with each other. It's yeah. not like they can quit their jobs. I mean, they can see the Edward problem if you want to know how that goes. Um, but they're very unlikely to because everybody's still a little bit in recovery from the Edward problem. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
But I think yeah. it's interesting. I think we're seeing a transition. I think they are preparing the... Look, we all work in the corporate world. Yes. Management transitions never go and well. And that's what so we're seeing. We're seeing a corporate transition. The machinery behind the monarchy is preparing for a change in power. And and what I think you'll see is I think you will see William and Kate take a very big role because Charles is in his 70s. It's not like Kate and William are going to wait forever. They are not going to wait 67 years like Charles. Yeah. I mean, Charles might want to do as much as he can, but the reality is, is he's in his 70s. And so naturally, you're right. Like, and, and they need to because you have to do the training before you take on the role. And likely if you know family history is any indication Charles could live into his 90s but that gives him 20 years on the throne and you know that's only 20 more years for William to train so that might sound like a lot and he's been training his whole life but I mean I think it's necessary so and you know I don't want to go into the gory details here, but it has been interesting to see the press strategies at play here. There's a lot of sniping in the press, and then we've also had this really strange story that came out about how Kate was cutting out a woman in the country set, and... The, the turnip toss. The turnip toss. And the God, story was so like Yeah, it's a little strange. The story was so vague and weird and maybe wouldn't have gone anywhere except for then William came out and threatened to sue. And everyone kind of thought, well, why why for something like this? So now the speculation is that maybe perhaps there is an affair on William's part, but of course this is all speculation and I really don't feel like speculating. I think we've talked about enough um, members of the Royal family where I wouldn't be surprised if there was. Um, And I think it, these people just live their lives in a completely different way from the average person. So I don't, I don't actually care. But what I find interesting is that the press strategy around it, sort of fed the fire which you think if you want everybody to ignore a story you wouldn't make it bigger by threatening to sue I don't know I just think it's sort of this all happened around the same time as some of this other stuff that we were talking about and it just kind of feels like no one is hurting the sheep as it is they're just firing at will and kind of going off in all different directions and it doesn't feel managed I guess that's what I'm trying to say it doesn't feel like there's anyone behind the scenes managing the image which could be a result of this split it could be a result of people spread too thin trying to get their bearings and new roles and maybe these are some of the growing pains that you see yeah, I mean, the threatening to sue, it could have been the, the final straw of a whole year of, you know, insinuations about, you know, William and his relationship with other people. Maybe it really was an affair. I don't know. But what's interesting is that the British press seems to have quieted down about it. But then the American press keeps coming with like a story here, a story there. And they're kind of keeping this going. But 
whatever William's threat was, it seemed to have worked with the British press at least. So they, they seem to have dropped that story. But um, yeah, that whole thing was bizarre. But uh, again, I mean, speculation at this point is just speculation. So yeah. And it, we'll, we'll end it there. So yeah. that's what we've missed in the last five months. And I, it was kind of a lot. It was kind of a lot. <laughs> so I hope you're still with us. <laughs> um, but it's kind of interesting to cover some of that stuff because as we move forward, we'll probably talk about a few gossip stories here or there. And that's sort of the background on everything. But we started this episode talking about little Archie. And um, specifically, we noted that he's not a prince. And so I thought it would be nice to talk about the titles of the British aristocracy and the nobility and the royals and how they all work because it's incredibly convoluted and the hierarchy is very cut and dry and then there's exceptions and there's different rules. So I thought it'd just be fun to cover it because this goes back the mo- the system of nobility really dates back to um, William the Conqueror because that was the Norman conquest and they brought over their Norman feudal system with them but of course you always have to change things up so there's been a few tweaks over the years and even even the Normans in England didn't do it the way they did it in Normandy so no, I um actually the Norman conquest is so fascinating and I mean had implications for everything really but I am um, the the merging of this Norman and Saxon hierarchy is really fascinating like they they brought a lot of the Norman customs but then they kept a few of the Saxon customs that had still existed um and kind of merge them together and that's how you get like counties and all these titles and castles and all kinds of stuff it's really fascinating yeah it's we could do a whole podcast on this but we're gonna just do one episode so when you're <laughs> for now yes for now so when we're talking about the nobility in the united kingdom again this is united kingdom specific and when we talk about the nobility we're really talking about this system of peerages um i.e. you are a peer of the realm and and that just means you you have a title but you also have advantages that come with it you have rights to hold land you have vast land holdings that gave you political power that gives you the right to govern other people you know if you think about we're talking about the feudal system there's it's almost like a pyramid there's the king at the top and then there's dukes and then it just on and on and on like a multi-level marketing scheme only you're not selling leggings you're selling you're you're surviving you're that's what it is it's it's for survival but much like a pyramid scheme those at the bottom really get the run they really really do you know they they really they really don't end up well so speaking of those at the bottom the ones with minor titles are not considered peers so we're not really going to talk about them but those are the, what we would call the gentry and we have talked about the gentry before and these are the baronets the knights the dames um the descendants of peers so these would be the males um and children the descendants of the males who hold the titles and the children of women who hold the titles in their own right 
And then we've talked about this before, but this idea of the landed gentry. Um, we talked about this in our episode about Elizabeth Woodville. That was kind of the circle she was part of. Um, these are the, they might be a knight, they might be a dame, but really the idea is they have land. So these are people that derive income purely from their land ownership, but they don't have the title that makes them part of the nobility. So does that make sense? Yes. Well, it does to me. Okay. But, <laughs> but that, and that was why Elizabeth Woodville was considered a commoner, if you remember. Because right. Because her... But common is a very relative term. Yes. Her mother had been a duchess, but her father was... A knight. A knight. And he had some land. But, if they, you know, they weren't really considered part of the aristocracy. No. And not only was her father a knight, but he was a new knight. So yes. he was... New money, as it were. New money, new money. But they they lived a, you know, comfortable life from this land ownership. But they really weren't considered anything special by the peers. So let's right. talk about the... Because snobbery is as old as England. Oh, so. it's as old as time. <laughs> the peerage um, is really what we're going to talk about here. So this generally consists of courtesy titles and honorifics. So when we talk about a title, we're talking about Duke so-and-so duchess so-and-so viscounts marquesses um you know when you talk about that story about william you keep seeing marquess and and is it marchioness i don't know how you say that marchioness i think it's marchioness 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 to me always sounds like a female but yes but i suppose it's except for anne boleyn was a marquess in her own right um (sighs) this isn't confusing at all yeah it gets it gets very convoluted, I told you. So even if you have these titles, whether or not you're a part of the nobility depends on whether you're entitled to heraldic arms. But generally speaking, peers are entitled to their own set of heraldic arms. So that's like if you were a knight and you're going into battle, you'd paint arms on your shield. That's the best way I can explain The best way to think about that, I think, the best analogy would be the houses in Game of Thrones, where they all have their their standards and their, um, I forget what they call it, their... their Sigils. Thank you, their sigils, where they might have other people who are loyal to them, but the houses are the ones that have the, the right to this sigil, so... Yes, and then when you're talking about heraldic arms, it's not just you know, a dire wolf on a shield. It's maybe a dire wolf. They're with a way fish. more complicated. Yeah, yes. they're they tell a story. Yeah. So that's really when we're talking about the nobility. Those are those who are entitled to heraldic arms. But really when you're talk- talking about the peerage, they go hand in hand. Now, all modern all modern British titles are generally granted by the monarch, unless you inherit them. And they require letters patent. So to hold the... And all that means is if she's granting a title, it's it's not like she just tells you, okay, Harry, you're getting married and making you the Duke of Sussex. It's a decree gets issued and the royal seal is affixed and it's declared to all the land. And, you know, there's an actual document that says you are the Duke of Sussex. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about letters patent. Um... 
Interestingly, though, when we talk about the monarch, the monarch is not supposed to hold a peerage because the idea is all of this. We talk when I said honorifics, it's all this idea of you are entitled to this um, peerage and you hold this title because you are so honorable that that you are worthy to bear the prestige that's the word I'm looking for that comes along with all of this and the idea is the monarch is the fountain from which all of this honor flows so she or he shouldn't hold a peerage but put a pin in that because she actually does do you know a great movie that details this okay a knight's tale the knight's oh that really just talks about like heraldic arms and letters yeah but but he needs his letters patent and they have to come up with it am i saying it wrong well that's what they call it with their british accents but letters patent and you know he he has to come up with this this family history of heraldic shields like it really details this whole process but i think in that movie they're getting confused with like a duke and a and a knight because you don't need heraldic arms to be a knight it's true that perhaps a knight's tale is not historically accurate uh shocker uh i didn't realize that chaucer also forged heraldic arms but not really the point the point is that as someone who needs to be decreed a certain title they required these various steps and it's also an amazing movie it really is i actually rewatched it while i was in london it's fantastic i know it was on tv like a couple weeks ago and it started coming on i was like well i'm in i'm gonna have to watch this it it's so actually good. is truly i think well we don't have to dovetail like we don't think like go off on a tangent i'm just saying if you haven't seen a knight's tale you should definitely watch it i just hope you're not against historical inaccuracies and anachronisms if, so if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen a knight's tale you need to get on that yeah Okay, so where was I? Um, Letters patent. Letters patent. Um, Oh, yes. And the queen isn't supposed to hold a peerage, but she actually does. And we will talk about that. Um, But once these peerages are granted, they're hereditary for the most part. Um, And they generally descend in the male line for now. Now, this is really, really interesting. So this is the idea of primogeniture, right? You have a man and he is the Duke of the West. Let's just say that. I don't want to use a specific title, but um, he has no sons. He has three daughters, but he has a nephew. So it should go to his nephew. That's the idea of primogeniture is males are always going to inherit before females. Also see Game of Thrones. Also see Game of Thrones, yes. But if he had a daughter and then he had a son, it would go to his son and bypass his daughter. See Downton Abbey, if you're curious how this works. That's the whole premise of Downton Abbey. So what I think is interesting about this is I read that there's actually a pending case before the, I think it's the International Court of Human Rights or something like that. Uh where they're claiming this is a violation of human rights. Agreed. And you know what? It absolutely is. In this day and age, the fact that a girl cannot inherit is bullshit. In our lifetime, depending on how this goes, this could actually change. Well, they've already changed Um, it for 
say the royal family because yeah and we'll and we will get into that yeah that's the thing it requires specific decrees but your average your average your average duke out there your average duke yes yes with three sons with three daughters and no sons he has a real problem and it's not like they can just say well I want to leave it to my daughter in many cases they don't have a choice because it's 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 the title passes a certain way and you you can't change it you can't you can't change the and course you know I mean inheritance oh, there's a lot of families out there where this is the case and that male relative is just waiting in the wings and so he doesn't want it to go to the female because he's been assuming his whole life that oh my uncle so-and-so didn't have any girls this is totally going to me or didn't have any boys like this is definitely coming to me I mean, we could talk about whether they really want these things because a lot of times these titles come attached to an old decaying house that you then have to somehow pay to keep up. But that's neither here nor there, I suppose, for this conversation. So it'll be interesting to watch that. But for now, these peerages are hereditary through the male line. Um, So... What's also interesting is not only is it the male line, but when you're talking about primogeniture, we're really just talking about the firstborn son. If you have five sons, two through four, they're they're kind of out of luck. For example, if you have a duke, oftentimes if you're a duke, you also hold subsidiary titles. So you might be a duke and a marquess and an earl. You might have them all the way down to knight. That's just kind of how it goes. Um... So the eldest son of a duke uh, or an earl, as long as there's a subsidiary title, he can use one of his father's lesser titles. But let's talk about Archie Mountbatten Windsor because that was kind of the assumption that everybody had made. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to prince, princess. But he wasn't going to be a prince. But his father is the Duke of Sussex. So everyone kind of assumed he was going to go by Harry's next title, which is the Earl of Dumbarton. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know how else you would pronounce that. I would just say Dumbarton, I guess. Dumbarton. Dumbarton. I don't know. Dumbarton is probably right. Earl of Dumbarton. Sounds better than Dumbarton. Because that, that, that woman you were talking about, the turnip top. Yeah. I, don't, I can't even spell her title but it's chumley yeah i know it looks like chamondelay and it's chumley almost like gloucester looks like gloucester and it's gloucester so there you go so i'm gonna say dumberton is yes dumberton so everybody thought he'd be styled the earl of dumberton much like prince edward's son james is titled viscount severn because that is edward's next lowest title um they decided not to do that at all so they've just been so that makes me think and we'll get to this prince or princess but when this kid is entitled to use the title prince that they don't plan to do it so it's just kind of interesting you know there's privileges that come with being the eldest son not only can you inherit everything but you can also use a title while your father is still alive and of course the idea there is that eventually you're going to inherit everything so you might as well get used to being addressed as lord so and so um and that is the proper way people are addressed um i think dukes are your grace um but generally speaking it's if you were you know saying oh so and so is coming to be lord so and so 
it's so confusing. Let me know if you're getting lost because I'm trying to go down the list here, but it's just, it's such a convoluted system. It feels like the English language. You know, if you're trying to learn it, it's really, really difficult. If you grow up speaking it, it all just kind of makes sense. Yeah. It's not like Duke, Marquesa, or Earl sound anything like each other. So it's not like there's a clear hierarchy implicit in the names either. No, not at all. So really this system is, we mentioned this a little bit, but as you say, like Duke, Marquess, Earl, why does one come before the other? It's all a holdover from feudalism, which was directly controlled by land ownership. So before the Normans came, you had barons who held the land, um, but they created dukes after the Norman conquest which kind of did away with barons, although barons do exist, but now they're all the way down at the bottom. Which makes sense. Uh, the Normans would have wanted to suppress yeah. their, um, well, the people that they were conquering. So. so the way the feudal system would work is you have your king and then you have your duke, and your duke oh, has a vast land holding. You know, if you remember, we talked about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Her father was the Duke of Aquitaine, which was bigger a bigger land holding than the king of France. So the right. dukes were very, very powerful. And then under that, you've got your marquesses and your earls, and they might have smaller land holdings within that duke's territory, and then so on and so on, all the so way down to the peasants. are marquesses and earls roughly on the same level? No. But yes, we'll get to that. I'll oh explain God. the distinction. It's so confusing. Um, I hope everyone is still with us because it is not interesting. hoping to actually learn anything. <laughs> hey, I think I'm doing an okay job. Okay, so let's talk about the 14th century because that's where we start to see the creation of peerages. So as I mentioned, you know, we had dukes, but there really weren't that many. You know, there, there weren't a vast number of dukes, not like we see today um, and so on down I the line. There still because aren't that many. There aren't that many because it's there's there's the idea is if a duke is supposed to be next level down from royalty, it shouldn't be a free for all. I feel like the dukedoms coincide, maybe not a one for one, but pretty closely with like counties in England. Yes, and there are only uh, not, so many. Not counties. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. But yes, regions is a better way of saying it sure it's, but again you can England see how it's all carved tiny up. so there's only yes. so many you could have yes so the thing is, is when we started to get to this creation of peerages as I mentioned this was like your ticket into power political power now it no longer entitles you to sit in the house of lords it used to be until 1999 that if you were a peer you could sit in the house of lords now you have to be elected by your other peers to represent a certain contingent in the house of lords i think they just got too big because as you started to create these peerages there were more and more people and it was untenable um this is not to be confused with the house of commons which functions more like congress in the u.s where you have to be elected um, and don't please don't ask me to go into any further detail. That's, that's fine. Parliament. I'm just a little shocked that um, I guess I wasn't aware that I mean, 1999 feels very recent to get rid of that. But I also wasn't aware that they had. So then how do you now get into the House of Lords? You have to be eligible. So you have to but be how a peer. Are you eligible 
to be a peer. Okay. So you have to be a duke or an earl or, a you know, a marquess. It used to be that all of those people had the right to sit in the House of Lords. Um, so really the House of I Lords understand has it. shrunk? Yes. I think they just... Now the idea is you have certain um, constituencies and then you your fellow peers who also are in that region like let's say a state in the u.s so i live in massachusetts so all the dukes in massachusetts would elect one representative okay. to represent massachusetts rather than all 10 so they're of them. they're having like mini elections no and you know i don't even please don't ask me to go too far into detail this is my understanding of it um i just know it no longer entitles you automatically to sit in government it very much used to be the case it kind and of sounds idea, to me like a modern day version of the princes in the Holy Roman Empire. Yes, yes. It's a lot like that. You know, the idea is it used to be just by virtue of being so special, you also got to decide how the country was run. You know, things have modernized. I'm guessing it just got too big. And so now they're saying, well, actually, you need to elect a representative. And then that person we know has been chosen to sit. Because if we're talking about how we're a constitutional really monarchy? i was gonna say monarchy but i mean like it's a pseudo democracy you know well it really is a democracy yeah um that's how it should be done moving on <laughs> yeah i and i'm so sorry i'm trying these are just it's so convoluted okay this is so a more complicated are, topic than i thought it was gonna be <laughs> it is you know it's very interesting we might be the only people in the world that find this interesting but i certainly found it very interesting Okay, so what are the titles? We've talked about Duke and Earl and Marquess, but who comes first? So the highest ranking hereditary title is that of Duke. The wife of a Duke is known as a Duchess. Generally speaking, you won't see too many Duchesses who are not the wives of a Duke. But it can happen. You can have a Duchess in her own right. It's rare, though. Usually... It's a man, because as we said, this descends down through the male line. I so failed how, how to look up become... any examples of a duchess in her own right. I apologize. So how could you? Well, it's a created position. So theoretically, a monarch could create someone, the duchess. Mm, okay. I'm guessing, if I had to guess, this is pure speculation, because I, as I mentioned, I failed to look this up. I'm going to guess... Charles II created one of his many mistresses a duchess. That sounds probable. I'm going to look that up. I can't prove it. I'm just guessing if it can happen, that's probably where it did. But generally speaking, a duke is a man and his wife is the duchess. Now, this is not to be confused with a royal duke who is a member of the British royal family entitled to use of the hrh which is his or her royal highness but but also carries the title of duke yeah but because most we're talking about the nobility highness. what but most likely his royal highness given what yes, we just talked his. about when we're talking about nobility we are not talking about royalty royals can be members of the nobility most of the nobilities are not members of royals does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So current royal dukedoms. So there are currently eight 
royal dukedoms in existence. Now, remember when I said that the monarch does not hold a peerage? Yes. That's not exactly true. The queen... Is she cheating? Well, no. The queen and all the monarchs before her, for a very long line, um, holds the title of Duke of Lancaster. Interestingly, the queen is not the Duchess of Lancaster. She is the Duke of Lancaster. The monarch... The sovereign of England, United Kingdom, traditionally holds the title of Duke of Lancaster. That's what we call fighting the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. And if you remember from our episodes on Henry VIII, we talked a bit about the War of the Roses. And you might remember that the Lancastrians won the War of the Roses. So well, that's, we, we talked more about it in our Elizabeth Woodville episode. Yes, we did. So I think that's why the monarch holds the title of Duke I was going to ask if that dated back to the War of the Roses, how like traditionally the monarch wouldn't have a dukedom, but that because the Duke of Lancaster became... Um, there no. was no Duke of Lancaster in the War of the Roses. This might predate it. No, the Lancastrians and the Yorkists. So. Yeah. But it was the house. I don't. I don't know who the Duke of Lancaster was, because the sovereign that they originally deposed was a Lancastrian. He was, but his wasn't. Mm, oh God, was it the Earl of Warwick? I don't know. Okay, moving on. <laughs> yes. All I wanted to say is the Queen Queen Elizabeth herself is also the Duke of Lancaster. This is where she gets most of her money. So mm. this is a separate entity from the Crown Estate, and it provides personal income to her. This is where I quibble when they say the Queen and her family are, like, sucking the taxes dry, because it's just really not true. I mean, you can talk about whether or not this feudal society should still have holdovers in modern society, but yes. But I think when most they of her they private income, wealth, it's like... Probably taxes for people who, like, rent the land or something. Yes. Most of her private wealth comes from the Duchy of Lancaster. Next on the list, we have well, She doesn't the, have oh. serfs working the land. No. No. She doesn't. But she has well, people renting the land and yeah. working it for her. Yeah, but it's different. <laughs> yeah. Um, next on the list, we have the Duke of Edinburgh. Edinburgh, Edinburgh, help me. Help. That's, that's, I'm assuming they got that dukedom when they took over Scotland. This is a created peerage. I don't but, know, I don't know when it became, Scotland. yes, okay. I don't know when it became available, but this is Prince Philip. So Elizabeth. Is he the only one? Uh, I don't know who predated him. So this is what happens when there is no male decedent, decedent, I'm sorry, descendant. Decedent is a dead person. Claire, the words are already difficult. You're just making. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> when there's when there's no male descendant to take over the title, oftentimes they revert. If it's a created peerage, it reverts to the crown. So for whatever reason, I assume you're correct that this dates back to when they took over Scotland. But at some point, the Duchy of Edinburgh died out in the male line so the title reverted to the crown so when philip renounced his greek titles 
because let's not forget he was from he was a Greek prince. He was created the Duke of Edinburgh. Can you just spend the next hour trying to pronounce that? Because it's really funny. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, But that's and he he he, will talk about him when we get to princes as well. But for a very long time, he was simply a duke. Next down on the list, we have the Duke of Cornwall and the Duke of Rothsay. Just say Rothsay. Rothsay. I'm making this up, but that that's just going to be... I'm just going to assume that's how they pronounce it. Rothsay. Oh, this is terrible. Um, and this is Prince Charles. So Prince Charles is not only the Prince of Wales, but along with that comes... It may have been the Duke of Cornwall before he was the Prince of Wales. Do you know? Uh, yeah, I think the Duchy of Cornwall goes to the heir. Oh, it definitely does. So I think he was always the Duke of Cornwall, and then he was invested as the Prince of Wales when he was, like, 21 or something. Why does he have two dukedoms, though? I'm not sure. But he does. So this is the thing. There's no, there's no limit. You can have more than one, at least if you're a royal duke. Um, I'm totally making this up as I go along. I'm not sure why he has two. But obviously, he has two. I think usually you wouldn't see a double dukedom out in the non-royal peerage. But again, that goes back to the fact that there's really not too many available. It's conceivable that you could if there was one that somehow passed to the same male descendant from his mother's side, as did, say, may, say maybe you have a son who inherits from his father, but then also on his mother's side, he's the next male heir. It's conceivable that it could happen. Um, I just, I didn't just go that Charles in depth. just makes Charles look greedy. I know. He's and the only he's the one Prince with of two. Wales. Yeah. Um, okay. okay, but after Charles. Oh, well, actually, Duke of Rothsey might be his Scottish dukedom, now that I'm thinking that through. Well, then we're definitely pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It might be. It might because they all have they do all have Scottish titles. That could be his Scottish dukedom. OK, moving on. Next is Duke of York. This is Prince Andrew. And we've talked about this before, but the Duke of York is generally given to the second son of the sovereign. So George the sixth was a duke of york yes until his brother abdicated the throne and he got bumped up yeah but what does that mean for harry when charles becomes king well so the duke of york is not a hereditary title um which is interesting right so if andrew dies i believe it goes to harry could go to Harry, but Charles would have wouldn't to take it. create yeah. him. Oh no, Andrew! How Andrew would have to die first. No, I know, um, but I'm saying if he did, it Harry's the only one who could take it. But he's already the Duke of Sussex, so would he? See, this is where we talk about the fact that everyone's living a very long time. I mean, I'm this probably sure didn't answer. used to be a problem because like, if you think about it, Victoria and Albert had like a billion kids and I don't think that this was an issue because none of them lived very long. No, I mean, you had a Prince of Wales and the Duke of York was like his grandson or something yeah. like that. I mean, she lived a really long time, but 
It gets convoluted. Um, I'm not actually sure of the answer. The only thing I know is that, um, you know, if Eugenie has a son and Andrew dies, I do not believe her son will become the Duke of York. Okay. Duke of Cambridge, Prince William. William. As we know, he was created Duke of Cambridge on his wedding day. This is another one of those that was available because at some point it reverted back to the crown. Queen Elizabeth had a pot of dukedoms to pick from. She gave him Cambridge. And similar thing happened. Thing with Harry. Yes, yeah. similar thing happened with Harry. He was created Duke of Sussex. Uh, people talked about when he was getting married, what the options were because there really aren't that many left. Um, so it really came down to would he be the Duke of Sussex or would he be the Duke of Clarence? Um, it's probably think, good that um, Charles and Diana only had two kids. Yeah. Also, yeah. he wouldn't take Clarence because Clarence House is associated with Charles, so that would be confusing as hell. Well, that's a different entity. But I think really it was more like the last Duke of Clarence de- drowned in a vat of Malmsey wine. I mean, yeah, it's the same. That's the same question around like, is Charles going to take King Charles? Like, you got to take these back, people, you know, like just own them and change I the know. history. I know. And how no, badass he's... would that be to be like, yeah, I'm Duke of Clarence. The last guy I have this title got drowned in a vat of wine. What are you going to do to me? <laughs> um, okay. Then we have the last two on the list, which I think a lot of people don't know much about. We have the Duke of Gloucester. Who is I had to Prince- ask you about this. You had to ask me about these, yes. I, Duke of Gloucester was also Richard III. Yes. Another Richard. It's really interesting. So this is Prince Richard. And you might be like, who the hell is Prince Richard? Well, that's that why I was Queen- like, Richard Gloucester, what? <laughs> that is Queen Elizabeth's first cousin because, as I had to remind Allie, Queen Elizabeth's father had some siblings. So he is the son of Prince Henry? George or Henry. Ooh, crap. I can't remember which messages. is which. You told okay. me. Okay. So um, Bertie. George. Also George. known as also Bertie, also known as George the Sixth. Which is interesting that he had a brother named George. Um, had a brother named George and a brother named Henry. So Richard is the son of George. Is that what you're saying? No. Richard. Sorry. This is confusing. Richard is the son of Prince Henry. Okay. So Prince Henry was a son of George V and Mary of Teck. And this is their son. So he is the Duke of Gloucester. But he is also known as Prince Richard because... At one he's point in time, he was entitled to that title. And once you get it, you don't necessarily lose it. Yep. And then we have the Duke of Kent, who is Prince Edward, who is the, the son, son of, of Prince George. George. Yes. So he inherited his father's title. His younger brother is Prince Michael of Kent, who you may have heard of because his wife gets a lot of press. Princess Michael of Kent. Racist. Yes, and she goes by Princess Michael because that is her highest title. Um, interestingly, she doesn't go by the Duchess of Kent. I guess she prefers to think of herself as a princess, which she's technically entitled to use that title by virtue of her marriage. Um, those are your royal dukes. Moving on to Marquesses. So this is the next rung down on the ladder. The female version is a Wait, marchioness. I have a question. I'm sorry. Yes. I know this is going long, but I'm <laughs> so Prince Richard and Prince Edward, their children will inherit our lords and ladies. Okay, so they won't because they're inherit... the children of a duke. Okay, but they won't inherit duke as a title. Uh, the eldest 
the eldest son of Prince Richard will become the Duke of Gloucester and the eldest son of the Duke of Kent will become the Duke of Kent. Okay. But their children right now go by Lord and Lady. Okay. Because the children of Dukes, and this will become pertinent, are entitled to the stylings of Lord and Lady. Yeah. I've said that three times This is how you keep the peerage from dying out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Marquesses. So this we is the ju- next rung we're only down. on number two. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. It'll go fast from here. So the female version, as we talked about a bit, is Marchioness. I'm just, that's how I'm going to say it. Because Marchioness sounds weird. Is it Marchioness? Um, I don't, Marchioness? I, God, I don't know. But why wouldn't you spell it differently? Well, I don't Mrs. Marquess, we don't really know how to call her. Okay. Um. So here's where the name comes from so the idea way back when is that the land of a marquess was a borderland and the borderlands were called the march and as a result because they were tasked with defending the border the marquess ranks higher than a count but as you asked earlier, is there any difference between a Marquess and an Earl? There's not really. That's really the only that's the only reason that the Marquess comes higher in rank is because traditionally the lands that they held were on the border and they were tasked with defending the border. So by virtue of this responsibility, they were second in line after Dukes. So if I you just mentioned in Count had the potentially bad luck to live on the border of Wales or Scotland you were a Marquess rather than an Earl yes so you had some prestige along with your title but you're probably gonna die um I just mentioned (laughs) I I just mentioned counts (laughs) and so you might be saying well wait a second we don't have counts that's true a count is the equivalent is the Anglo-Saxon equivalent of an sorry an earl is the Anglo-Saxon equivalent of what a count would be in continental Europe. So what's interesting about the title earl is when we talked about the Normans mixing with the Anglo-Saxons, this dates back, this was an Anglo-Saxon term that developed into the term earl, but it originally meant chieftain. So it's the equivalent of a count in continental Europe. You would use countess, for the females because there's no earless or anything like that um but they would probably because in saxon culture the wives of earls didn't have a title yes most likely um though they didn't care about the women at all um but interestingly they hold the inner territories or the counties ah uh, yeah <laughs> so when you said the dukes are all by county i was like well not really um it's so confusing but it's true that a lot of them shared names with english counties so it is very confusing yes, yes. um so interestingly um queen elizabeth's son edward prince edward is known as the earl of wessex he does not have a dukedom the rumor is that he's holding out for the Duke of Edinburgh when Philip dies. Can I think he that might get be the last though? time I say that. Yep. No, but Elizabeth would have to have to confer it on him. But I believe he's holding out for that. Hmm. 
So here's a question. There's Sussex, Wessex, and Essex, and I think we can guess that's south, west, east. Is there a Nussex? Norfolk. Norfolk. Oh, great. Okay. But there's also Suffolk. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's a different I don't question. Know the I'll look that up on my own time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to go into detail too much on the next ones, but the next three down on the list are Viscount, Baron, and the Scottish Baron. Burn? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just so, saying it's kind of a burn to like demote them below the British barons. Like if you're supposed well, to be the United Kingdom, why do they get bumped down? The I'm level? sure the British barons had something to say about that when Scotland, when they, when they did the uh, unification under Queen Anne, I imagine the English barons said, yeah, but, but we're. This is probably why the Scots keep trying to leave the UK. <laughs> so. One of the many, many reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so these are the titles that make up the nobility. If you're still with us, thank oh you my God. for hanging in. <laughs> this might be our longest episode ever. <laughs> I know, we may, we may not even get to the order of precedence. I may not even bother. So the royalty is above the peerage. Now, you of course have your monarch, your sovereign, the king, or the queen. Self-explanatory? I don't think I need to really get into that. I don't understand. <laughs> Well, I've got a whole archive that you can listen to. Okay, so the next down on the ladder is the prince or princesses. And this is where things get a little convoluted. So we talked about how there's Prince Richard and Prince Edward, and they're the queen's first cousins, yet somehow they're still known as princes. That's because at one point in their life, they were entitled to use the term prince, and once you get that, you don't lose it. Um, but it's not always automatic, as we'll talk about with little baby Archie. So, princes and princesses Well, that's because are... Archie's not a grandchild of the sovereign. Let me a... explain! Fine, okay. <laughs> so... Princes and princesses are generally the children and grandchildren of the sovereign. Thank you, Allie. Okay. So, interestingly, before 1700s, this wasn't really in heavy use. That's not to say there weren't princes and princesses, but there weren't so many of them. It really was just the children of the sovereign, and that was kind of it. Um, They've always been princes and princesses. Um. Except you'd have the Prince of Wales. So conceivably, you could have a grandkid who was the Prince of Wales, you know, say the firstborn son died, and then his son would step up and be the Prince of Wales. Um, Since the time of Edward I, this has been used by the eldest son of the sovereign and or the heir apparent. Is it heir apparent or heir presumptive? Oh. The next in line. Um, I think it's heir presumptive until, until well, you're sure. It, yeah, think of it as like the crown prince. So yeah. that's always been the term for the Prince of Wales. Um, we talked about this way, way back in like one of our first episodes because Elizabeth was the heir presumptive or heir apparent. I forget which one comes first. Yeah. Anyway. So then George the First, um, 
if you remember, he's the first Hanoverian king. He issued letters patent that <laughs> the sons and grandsons of the sovereign would be princes and entitled to the HRH. So they would be known as his or his royal highness prince Gustav. Okay. And I wonder if that's because he's importing this German idea of princes. Like, a little bit. They had so many in Germany that like maybe he was like, you know what, you guys should do that here too. A little bit, but I also think this was an this was again a sovereign that you have taking the throne who's a little bit older and so he has grandchildren and so his kids are probably saying what about my son and perhaps in Germany they would have been entitled to the title I'm not sure um this was later affirmed by Victoria as we know she had a million kids and grandkids and so she wanted to make sure that they were all entitled to use the prince and princess title there have been some other changes throughout the years However, um, so in one instance, we have the children of Prince George, who was the Duke of York, son of the Prince of Wales. This is under um, Victoria. They were titled princes and were entitled to use the term highness. Um, not his, not, no HRH, just they were, you know, titled highness, the prince of so-and-so. And now if we're looking at the family tree, these princes are, is this Bertie and David and Harry or Henry and George? No, 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 no. This, this goes back to Victoria. No, I know, but this is, so the Prince of Wales is Victoria's son, and then his son is George, who would be the father of these princes. Oh, maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. It doesn't really, it's not really um, pertinent. Okay. Sorry, I'm just trying to put the pieces together. (laughs) At that point, they just made a bit of a, they made a change to how it was done. And then also we have this instance in 1914 where the children of Ernest Augustus, who was the Duke of Brunswick, and he was a great, great grandchild of George III, they were titled with the name of Prince. And I feel like that was just a courtesy. I'm not sure of the circumstances surrounding that, but for some reason... Um, perhaps it was just the fact that we got so far down the family tree and, um, the king at the time said, okay, yeah, you can be a prince. Um, because again, you have to think about the fact that you're saying, okay, my son is a prince and then he has a son and he says, so my son is a prince and then he has a son and he says, well, my son should be a prince. And it's kind of like, okay, (laughs) you can all all be princes. Ernest Augustus is like the most German name. Ever. It's very German. Very, very German. Okay. So this is, we're getting to the really pertinent facts. So in 1917, George V, not only did he change the family name to Windsor, but he also altered the rights to the title of Prince and HRH, because as you can see, it was getting a little bit out of control. This is the rule as it stands today, with, of course, a couple of exceptions. Children. And children of the sons of the sovereign and the eldest living son of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales can be a prince and entitled to use the HRH. So what does that mean? That means that Queen Elizabeth's kids, Charles, Anne, Edward, and Andrew, can all be prince and princess. 
their children. I'm sorry, children of the sons of the sovereign. So Charles's children, Andrew's children, and Edward's children are entitled to be prince or princess, but not Anne's children. And the eldest living son of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales, that would be Prince George, can be a prince. So Anne's children are not entitled to be princes. And before 2012, Charlotte and Louis would not be entitled to be princes. And Harry's children would not be entitled to be prince or princess. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. So this is interesting. (laughs) This is this is why Anne's children do not have titles. It's not necessarily that she turned them down. It's that they were not entitled to use prince or princess because they are not the children of a son of the sovereign. And Anne's husband did not accept a title when they got married. So they weren't entitled to be styled like the children of a duke. But there is this idea of a Earl. courtesy title. So no, but she that did has to be down. granted. You'd need you'd need letters patent. The queen no, would have that, to change the, queen the decree. That. She turned right. it down. But they didn't accept it. The queen, but the, the courtesy title would have been, I'm, "I'll make your husband an earl, and then your right. children can be lord and lady so and so." And they turned that down. But they would never ever be entitled to be prince or princess. The queen may have. She might have changed that if she wanted to but they didn't want it um so we talked about this before like the grandchildren of the sons of any such sovereign in the direct male line enjoy the style and title of children of dukes so that's why you have um the children of edward are known as lord and lady because they're enjoying the style and title of children of dukes what you don't see is Eugenie and Beatrice using that title because they are in fact entitled to use princess. Andrew didn't beg. If you look at this, oh, I thought he had to like the go children. And ask, hey, can my no, kids still be children? It doesn't say sons. It says children of the sons of the sovereign. Hmm, so Andrew okay. is a son of the sovereign, and his children are entitled to be princesses. But here's the thing: if only the eldest son. Okay, no, I'm third generation ahead. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yep. this, this I'm the sorry, children. This is, okay. Think of it as children and grandchildren. As long as their parent was a male, are all entitled to use the prince or princess title. And then, if you go down to great grandchild, it's just the eldest son of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. So they started to kind of take into account the fact that we're getting multiple generations. Of course, as I mentioned, there were a couple of exceptions. So this was completely ignored by the Duke of Brunswick, who, if you remember, is the one who was a great-great-grandchild of George III, and he and his kids were enjoying the title of prince. He said, yeah, I'm not doing that. We're going to be prince. So they just completely ignored it. In 1948, George VI amended this rule to allow Elizabeth's children to be princes, So that's because Elizabeth was a female and Mm. her kids wouldn't have been entitled much like Anne, but he amended it. Which might have been an issue considering she was the heir to the throne. Exactly. And that's, and that's why it was done. So there would have been precedent if Elizabeth wanted to do it for Anne. Um, But Anne, Anne didn't want it. Um, In 1957, Elizabeth made Philip a prince of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. 
And this was done because he was a prince. He was a Greek prince, but he had to renounce the title. When he married her, he became the duke. And I guess he wanted to be a prince again, so she made him a prince. Um, And then, of course, we have Edward I don't think he liked his children outranking him. No. Most likely, that's probably what it was. Um, And then we have Edward and Sophie's children, who uh, we talked about. Edward is not a duke. He's an earl. They enjoy the style of title of the children of an earl, which isn't that different from the children of a duke. Um, But they're not, you know, they could be prince and princess, but they don't, they've decided not to use that. And this is probably because, as you mentioned, Edward is third in line, or sorry, was the third son. He's not third in line. Um, and he'll never even come close to the throne and his children certainly won't. So why bother? Because then you're going to have a, who, who the hell is, you'll have a situation where you're saying, who the hell is Prince Richard? Who's, who's Prince James? Yeah. Who's Princess Louise? He's, he's like 15th at this point. So yeah. yeah, it's just really unnecessary. And then the other notable exception is that in 2012, Elizabeth declared that all of William's children would be princes and princesses, not just the eldest son. And this was probably done because... If you remember, they also changed the rule where if they had a girl first, she could inherit the throne. So it wouldn't make well, sense if you had I think it also heir. had to be done because it's this idea of precedent where this is the first time that they've had this many generations where if Elizabeth were dead and Charles were king, they wouldn't have needed to do that. No, I mean... all of his kids would have automatically been princes and princesses because they're the grandchildren of the sovereign but since they're the great grandkids of the sovereign they had to make a special exception yeah because when george from birth when george v changed the rule he shrunk the pool of people that were eligible yeah now you see the pool expanding just by virtue of the fact that elizabeth has lived so long right um so it wouldn't make sense if george was a prince but his siblings were not so, I mean, why does any of this matter? You know, the really it comes down to power, land holdings, and um, who, who walks into a room first. Um, and that was where I was going to talk about the orders of precedent. Yeah, which, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So let's that's really quickly. where a lot of this comes into play. You know, when you're talking about the Duke of Edinburgh and then you have the Duke of Cambridge, but then his kids are in line for the throne. So do they outrank people in the generation above them? That's where you have the order of precedence. So uh, like everything, it's divided into male, female. Um, and of course, males always take precedence over the females. Um, don't forget, you know, men come first. Unless you're the sovereign. Unless you're the sovereign. I know I'm being, I'm being facetious, but that's kind of the idea here. So there's an order for men and there's an order for women. And then when they're all together, the men would outrank the women. But it, it, yeah, like I said, it's kind of like, I'm sure it makes sense to all of them, but to us we'd be like, wait, where do I go? So the sovereign comes first, whether male or female always kind of come first. Um, next will be the Prince of Wales. Duke of Cornwall and Rothsey, that would be Charles, um, i.e. the sovereign's eldest son. Then you have the sovereign's younger sons, so they'd be ordered according to their birth. So Andrew would always come before Edward. Then you have the sovereign's grandsons. 
So they go according to the rules of primogeniture, which would be um, William, then Harry. William, Harry. I think it goes in order of who would inherit. So William and Harry are going to take rank over James, Edward's son, even though, well, they're older anyway. But because their father outranks, I think it goes, you go up a generation. Then you have the Sovereign's brothers, uh, not really applicable, but um, they'd be ordered according to their birth. Then you have the Sovereign's uncles. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go, this is getting way into the Some of this is not even applicable, though, at this point. But we do have the Sovereign's cousins, who that is applicable. So the sons of the brothers and sisters of the Sovereign's royal parent, through whom he or she inherited the throne... And these people are ordered according to the rules of primogeniture. So whether Prince Richard or Prince Edward walks into a room first is depending on the rules of primogeniture. And um, I, I don't know. You know what's really fascinating to me is that this order of precedence doesn't even account for George, Charlotte, and Louis. Well, we'll get to that. Because, because there it, are levels below where yeah the, the order of precedence even addresses yeah (laughs) and we'll we'll get to that so then you then you have to talk about how do the females rank so again you have the sovereign first um and then you have the queen if you had a queen consort so i assume that's where philip goes yeah on the male side we didn't really he wasn't really there was he because because i'm telling you these rules don't account for it yeah then you have um, the Queen Dowager. So it would if you have multiple ones, it would go the most recent consort first. Then you have the Princess of Wales, Duchess of Cornwall and Rothsey. She would be Camilla. That would be Camilla. So she'd be the wife of the Sovereign's eldest son. Then you have the wives of the younger sons. Then the Sovereign's daughters, which that's kind of interesting, right? That the wives of the sons take precedence over her own daughter. Um, then you have the wives of the grandsons, the sovereign's granddaughters, and then the wives of the sovereign's brothers, and then the sovereign's sisters. Oh, that's interesting. So Mary would be way down here if she were still alive. You mean um, Margaret? I'm yes, Margaret, not Mary. Sorry, I was confusing like, her with who Mary. Who is of Mary? Tech. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was confusing her with Mary of Tech. Um, and then you know you go down to uncles, aunts nephews all of this is ordered by their husbands so when you're talking about somebody's wives it's completely dependent on who their husband is um which is kind of interesting um but i want to talk about the tweaks because so yeah we this family about, is ha- having does they're gonna have a lot of trouble fitting into this yes, world because yes. of just modern times and yeah lifespans so it's interesting so we talked about philip but the duke of edinburgh holds precedence over all men in the uk except Charles in certain certain circumstances. So basically, I read if Parliament says that Charles takes precedent over Philip for a certain reason, then that's the only time that Charles would outrank his father because Queen Elizabeth has decreed it so. In private, this is kind of interesting. So when they're all at private events, Camilla, the Duchess of Cambridge instead of being above the women as the wife of the sovereign Prince of Wales 
yeah, oh, sorry, the wife of the, sorry, thank you, the wife of the prince's, Prince of Wales would normally take precedence over the wives of the sovereign's younger sons. So Sophie, um, I guess we could count Fergie. She's if she she if she were still around. Yeah. So in private, she comes after Anne, who would normally be way down there on the list, and Princess Alexandra, who is the queen's first cousin. This wasn't true for Diana. So Diana outranked all of them. She came after the queen. But Camilla comes after Anne, Princess Ro- Anne the Princess Royal, and Princess Alexandra. Um, but in state occasions, she's in second place. So isn't that interesting? Someone somewhere said, I'm not, I'm not bowing to her. I'm not walking three steps behind her. And the queen changed the rules. Um, princesses of the guesses. blood. <laughs> yes. Princesses of the blood um, or the blood royal. This would be Beatrice and Eugenie. Come before Kate and Meghan. If it's just the girls present. If they're accompanied by their husbands, then Kate and Meghan would come first. This was done around the time of Kate and William's wedding. And hands down, I bet you, Beatrice and Eugenie said, I'm not bowing to a commoner. I'm not going to do it. Do you think that's the reason why there, you know, that clip where I think it's, um, was it Eugenie who like basically like bowled Kate over at like a Christmas church service because she was trying to stand in front of her? Yes. Like, and I think that's, that's probably, and it, this is what that was. Yep. Yeah, and William was standing right there, so really she had no right to do that. Just saying. That's why it looks so tense because she didn't want to give way. At least this is photo assumption. She didn't want to give way, but William was present, so technically Kate had the precedence over her. So Kate was just doing what she should have, and kind of gave her that side eye, like "You wait, and I'm gonna walk down the stairs first. But that's where all of this comes into play. It's really, it's really interesting. Um. And then, and then, as you mentioned, we have this issue of the great grandchildren. So it's not really specified who, um, you know, who really expected Elizabeth would live this long. But George and Louis do have precedence over non-royal dukes as sons of the Duke of the Blood Royal. That goes back to 1520. Um, and Charlotte comes before all the non-royal duchesses. So she has the equivalent precedence on the women's side so george and louis are basically above any duke who's not a member of the family (laughs) yeah still doesn't leave a lot of options yeah so that's it you know that might have been a little dry for some people but i find that all really really interesting because you know what it really strikes me though is like to live your life that way like it might all be second nature for them but doesn't it just seem exhausting Yes, I don't have to to track this stuff all the time. And like, I don't know how closely they really follow it in private, but I just like feel like before any event, they have to have like a like a briefing of like just a reminder of like where you fall in the order. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. It's just crazy that like these titles still exist and it controls these days. It just kind of controls how important you are um, in certain circles. Yeah. In the only circles that still care. I mean, like, reality is, like, 
most people would never give this a second thought so yeah if i met a duke i'd probably just be like how do i pronounce your title yeah <laughs> sorry is that marquez <laughs> marquez marchioness rothsey yeah. edinburgh yeah um all right well that's it for tonight this is like a very long episode yes apologies um, but i mean this was our we had a lot to catch up on we had a lot of gossip and we had a lot of information downloaded about how the royal family functions in society apparently um yeah but next time we'll hopefully it'll be a little shorter i think we're gonna talk about um japan and the emperor and um the situation there which i think is really fascinating so till next yeah, time no it's till next time monarchast is produced by me ali and me claire and our logo is by Ryan Cooney. If you like our episodes and want to give us a shout out, please rate or review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your preferred method of podcast listening is. We really appreciate it.